Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast that does what it says on the tin. It's about a time capsule that my guest is going to fill with five things from their life that they cherish. What well, four things that they cherish, and one thing that they would rather forget. They can choose those things from any time in their life, and we talk about each one of them before they put them in the time capsule. A sort of treasure box of their favourite things. Sort of. Making these choices in this episode is the comedian, writer and TV presenter Dara O'Brien, famous as the host of the long-running comedy series Mock the Week, as well as for being one of the most successful stand-up comedians in Britain and most of the world, except, of course, America, as he points out in this recording. He's currently on his latest stand-up tour called So, Where Were We? Appropriately enough. Dara has also been on QI, Room 101, the Three Men in a Boat series with Rory McGrath and Griff Rhys-Jones, The Apprentice, You've Been Fired, Dara and Ed's Great Big Adventures with his friend Ed Byrne, Live at the Apollo, a number of times, in fact more times than anyone else, the radio classic Just a Minute and The Infinite Monkey Cage with Professor Brian Cox. The two of them also present Stargazing Live. Dara jointly holds a Guinness World Record with Jack Whitehall and John Richardson for the highest stand-up comedy gig, performed on a British Airways flight in 2011 for comic relief. So let's see if we can get Dara to talk about the five things he put in a time capsule and why he wants to put them there. Of course, he is famously reticent, and it's very difficult to get him to say anything. Still, ready, steady, go. 
I was doing a show last night and then came in and my wife came downstairs when she heard me coming in and gave me a monitor and said, yeah. you look after this now. Still then woke up at four o'clock when I was in bed and then she put him in the bed with me for some reason, put him in the bed with me and so that <laughs> kept us both up because he would just would comment on things for until eventually he fell asleep at quarter past six. I was up at seven and it was just a mess of a thing. But anyway, I, and then to top it all off, somebody came to test the alarm in the house. Great. Um, so I finally got sleep. And then the alarm kept going off. <laughs> so if you'd like to spend this hour just snoozing in a chair, then, you know, obviously you're welcome. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I will take that time if it was offered to me. <laughs> well, it's good because I'm now complete the circle. I've done Griff. I've done Rory. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now I've got you, the three men in a boat. How lovely. Yeah, it was, it was, that was such a lovely thing. I don't see them in a while. I was supposed to do a gig with Griff recently. Rory occasionally I'll see at the Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've not seen them both for a while. I mean, it was, it, God, we did seven of them. Yeah. Uh, people always, yeah, people always presume, oh yeah, I saw that, I saw that show you did. <laughs> and you're going, okay, do you remember, was it in America I was or in Venice? <laughs> uh, you know, the, we did, yeah. we covered a, a fair bit of ground, but it was, oh, it was actually, because he were in this allegation all the time going, no, we're not paying to watch you go on your holidays. Uh, and you always angrily kind of, uh, excuse me, it's a, it's a filming schedule. It's incredibly arduous and you have no idea how difficult it is. Yeah. You don't know how hard we work to make this look like a holiday. From dawn till dusk, because Griff had gone, I'm not saying in rubbish hotels i'm only doing this if they're if the hotels are good and we were like okay we're, we're behind yeah we're with you there yeah and so we ate very well and drank a lot and there was one which was we did in ireland uh, and it was me going back to dublin then me going off mm. at various stages on the way i knew people and i by the end of it was i was absolutely exhausted because i was just hammered the entire way across Ireland. There was one night off we were in Athlone. We're luckily at Lone. I know nobody in Athlone and I had a bath and I went to bed. Yeah. But then we started back and we ended up in Limerick. We've got family and that all kicked off again for three days. And <laughs> some of them were just, they were really, really rough. But look, it was, it was a glorious thing and, and they were lovely travel companions. Because Griff is sort of uh, just turned into this wonderful sort of mellow, but not mellow, obviously. That would be no. a silly thing to say. <laughs> I no. say mellow, but go on, yeah. But no, I mean, he's come into an, el- an elder states. He slipped into the elder statesman thing yeah. um, versus the young firebrand. Because they would, on the very first one, I was only 33 when we did the very first one. Right. Very new and very, you don't know this guy. I was a surprising booking, really. Just, I'd only just started doing Mock the Week and had only just done a first big tour even. So it wasn't that big a deal. And I was kind of goggle wide-eyed um, next to the two boys who, uh, were both like from a generation that I'd watched on television and loved Who Dares Wins was a massive thing in my house in a real kind of my dad and I'm not sure we should be watching this I don't think this is appropriate <laughs> uh, I did a lot of those I'm almost what you'd call an extra all the way through Who Dares Wins oh really yeah oh wow I think probably the one that my father bought out was the moving statue sketch. Oh, yeah. In which it was a ventriloquist dummy, basically the statue of the Virgin Mary. And, and it ended <laughs> with him going, well, I'm just going to place the statue of the Virgin Mary back in the box. I don't want to go back in the box. I don't want to go back in the box. And he was being laid down. So. Was uh, very funny. But they told stories of, you know, roistering, um, partying um, and debauchery. Yeah. That off-camera stuff that you're going, you're, you're, really? Them? Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, yeah, they were, they were demons for it. Like, and you go, really? and stuff that I at the time went I have no such stories and when it's in 20 years time when I'm the elder statesman at the front of the boat like whatever and there's some kids comedian I can't go oh do you know who's savage oh, it, was, uh, it was wild yeah I was up at 6 o'clock in the morning looking after my son it was crazy yeah I know I know I know oh I don't think about small kids they're mad oh um, dear okay so we're going to talk about 
five things that you've chosen to put into a time capsule, Dara. Yes, absolutely. Are we go? Are we the joy of podcasts? You know, that's that is the uh, the amount of times I've been doing a podcast and I've gone. I've been five minutes in the studio just chatting in there, going, "Oh, is this it? Is this this is a very informal." Form of broadcasting. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's like a red light and a man going five four, and then the fingers. <laughs> and then you stop saying fuck. That's right. Yes. Yeah. No. You know. I mean, and I I say fuck all the time. I may put that into the uh, time capsule. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the Irish freedom to say fuck. Anyway, sorry. If we go, let's go. Let's go. Okay. Fine. So, uh, well, I'll just let you do it. You tell me what your first item is. Oh yeah. Look, the, it was interesting because because it, it is quite a, it's quite a brief. Um, this in some ways. It, I mean, it's homework. <laughs> I don't want to be doing homework for these things uh, but I think there has to be some kind of placing it in, in the grounds of reality like where there has to be something that uh, you know you can actually fit into a capsule I know people put in mountain ranges yes believe or no it has to be a thing that genuinely goes in somewhere the, uh, okay it is very much what you want it to be look that's fine but I'm setting rules for everyone on this one right so this, okay. from here on in here on in <laughs> it has to be a thing that genuinely fits into a capsule and triggers memories you can't yes. just for the sake of all public, well I'd like to put you know world peace in or or I'd like to put, and I want to see it, and I want to measure it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know. I genuinely, I'm going to, I'm going to build a capsule for you out of some spare wood that we have, or a, okay. you know, a cardboard box or something that has to be recycled. It has to go into the into the box, like the. Uh, like, it's right. partly because, uh, in terms of um, trips down memory lane and stuff, a lot of the things that people mention right, are things that oh, I think I think they'll survive, mate. I think the music of the Beatles will will be they'll be sufficient. It's not like oh, thank heavens, this one guy put that in a box because otherwise that was okay. gone. Thanks yeah. for your help. Yes. Yeah, I know because I mean we just we mislaid all the other copies of the Beatles music, <laughs> and luckily you did that. Like whatever. The uh, oh really? Oh, all contemporary art. Okay, fine. Yeah, I think thank thank you for, for for keeping an archive of that because otherwise it all got wiped out in the comet uh, landing. The uh, but so. <laughs> I, I think it is okay to, to for it to be small and it to be presumably personal and, and a thing because I look I get the trip down memory lane thing. <laughs> this is we're recording this in January, which is tax time. <laughs> yeah, and so I find myself like on a floor of the office I'm in at the moment, spread out with all the stuff. You know, you do. I don't know what system you have. Maybe you got a better system than I do. But the uh, but I everything goes onto the floor and then gets put into piles. Uh, and this year's pile, last year's pile, uh, sterling pile, euro pile, um, or the you know. <laughs> something I can I'm allowed actually take a, a claim things I'm not allowed to claim but I gotta go through them all yeah and I do sit there and I go oh that was a lovely afternoon <laughs> I, I open things up and I go oh that was really nice I, I, I was very tempted to put all of my receipts in as because they do find myself going oh do you remember the time we went for lunch and oh well, I can't turn it back off those are nice memory like whatever yeah so you do <laughs> find yourself like I found a, a receipt for a plane that I'd hired, this is not a thing I do normally, but we were in Cape Cod hmm. um, about a year and a half ago. And you could, for I think it's like for $300, get a guy to go in a biplane and he would fly around the Cape and zoom over your hotel. And then he dropped down and said, look, there's a great white shark. And he pointed down and there was, a, there was, a, there was actually a small school of great white sharks because they get that a lot in Cape Cod, apparently. And we're like, OK, well, that's swimming off the itinerary for the afternoon. Which beach was that, by the way? Can you tell us? Yeah. Um, that was well worth the $300, wasn't it? Just for the spotting service alone. Uh, it was like, I mean, it, it paid for itself in that, like whatever. <laughs> so we had this fun thing and we're wedged into this little dun 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 kind of thing. And I, you're trying to take your phone out without it being flung out of your hands and lost forever. So you lift it up and like, and then take a picture of, your, you know, the hotel or the landscape, but and it was just this great, fun little trip that we did because 
it was a terrible holiday in many ways because there was a massive bout of nausea. And then in the middle, there was a hurricane, uh, genuinely a hurricane hit uh, Cape Cod. And we were in a car because we didn't take the warning seriously. And the car began to spin on the road. Oh, my God. Oh, it was, it was, it was a ludicrous holiday. But the high point of which was we took a little biplane around and took a spin around and this. And I found the receipt for that. And I just put it back in the drawer, knowing that in a year's time, as I'm going to next year's receipts, I'll find that receipt again and go, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> That's lovely. So some of these things are that, like whatever. I felt there were things that you would, because I did think abstractly I should put like Frank Matcham theatres or the Irish language or these things into that have big signal, but they're just too abstract and no one's going to knock them all down or, or the language will survive, you know, but they're kind of, so I've gone very personal and gone very small. Lovely. But triggering. In a good way. Yes. And none of those receipts you go, what night was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no euphemistic receipts for, you know, room service four. And you're going, well, what's the room service for? Uh, <laughs> and none of these kind of for, you know, Aardvark adult services. <laughs> you know, you're mm. like, wait, what was that? No, the, uh, no, 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 no dodgy ones at all. Like, uh, it's gone. So in that regard, actually, perfect example, old passports. Because I don't know if you keep old passports, but I do keep old passports. I mean, because I'm dad in this organisation I'm I'm heading up at the moment, which means one of my duties is the passports, Mm -hmm. both the renewal of and the doling out of. It's like I am a road manager for a particularly drugged up band who don't know what they're doing uh, and have to be brought into line. It's like Spinal Tap with the kids. You know, okay, I'm just going to hand these things out here. Okay. Uh, just look, just show them at the gate and then give them back to me, okay? So I'm the roadie who basically keeps yes. the thing going. And stop riding about on your suitcase, please. Yeah, on, yeah look, no, uh, you know, they're too big for the riding about suitcases now. They, uh, but, they, but they're just about to be they uh, they would have there's one now a large grown up version of those like a, like a black leather bag but has a motor inside it that you can get and you can drive it to the airport <laughs> Oh, God. And obviously no. you don't do this because you look like an idiot. To all other adults, yeah. you look like an idiot sitting in your suitcase, right? But to kids, it's like, I want, want the lust in the kids' eyes if I want the motorised suitcase. And I want to be driving around <laughs> this massive flat concourse on a motorised suitcase, like whatever. The, uh, so that's the, yeah, that's their current aim, is to get motorised suitcases. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a holiday to have, isn't it? You don't want to get on a plane. No, oh, no, you're fine. How early would you like to arrive at the airport, kids? 12, it's 18 hours <laughs> maybe and just do donuts in the middle of the check-in area it was incredible so the, uh, but uh, yeah you you are I mean I think there's a problem checking in because it's got a massive battery pack in them but like yeah but there was a woman as we were waiting to go was weaving her way through people as people were lining up to get into the passport bit but she was on her motorized suitcase there you are. there's also one you can get that follows you remotely oh my god like a Tesla exactly you hold a fob of some sort and the suitcase just tracks along behind you good god yeah it's like having a butler, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it yeah. like an invisible butler? But then the, the, the joy is that like, it's like, like a dog at some point you'll turn around and it's gone off and, and it's, it's sniffing at pole or, or it's, it's investigating <laughs> another motorised suitcase. It's mounted another motorised suitcase when your back was turned because instinct kicked in. Oh, it, it, like it's haunted by the spirit of a passepartout um, and then it's 10 feet behind you at all times. It's bizarre. And then you find, like, BMWs, those fobs apply to all suitcases. Oh, that'd be amazing. You've got a dozen following you. My God, it'd be like a Hitchcock, like the birds. Like, you walk <laughs> to the airport and more cases sniff you out until eventually you're running, <laughs> ah, panic to the concourse with hundreds of cases chasing after you. Yeah. And there's an episode of Black Mirror waiting to happen. Yeah. But yeah. So, no, passports. Uh, keep old passports because I think it's like it's a deft move that they give you back the old passport. 
I think there is no natural reason why they would have to do that. No. Uh, and it happens in Ireland, it happens in the UK, but they just snip the corner off, you know, the, a tiny act which renders the entire document apparently invalid. Uh, the, uh, that, and I'm, this is very new to me because I just had to change my wife's passport in the last week. The act of cutting a triangular corner off the passport, <laughs> it's over. That's done now. I've suddenly found a new use for the repair shop. Yeah, oh, amazing. I, I'm holding a week. I need to go away. But, Could you repair the corner and change the date? Yeah, but that's it. Uh, if they just go, that's it, you're gone. One corner taken off the front of the book, that's it, it's no longer a passport. But they do give it back to you. And so therefore, all of the little stamps and stuff, and this may seem like a ridiculous thing, when we get older and carbon things kick in and long-haul travel is going to be regarded less you know, warmly than it has been for a generation. The uh, Like I have, I have at least one, maybe two, pretty full passports wow. and they both speak of eras where I was travelling doing stand-up mm. I like a flick do as I go oh yeah the, the Melbourne uh, Comedy Festival 2001 and then I was oh we did those gigs in China and there's a period where you do them when you're very new and you do um, Dubai you'll do Hong Kong Singapore mm. China like a club gig it's like you'll, you'll travel all the way to Hong Kong, you'll do 40 minutes in front of expats, you'll get paid £180. Like, it'll be like as if you'd just done the comedy store, right? <laughs> yes. As if you'd just taken the tube into town and done the comedy store and you'll do a set there, except you'll be in Hong Kong. <laughs> and it's just weird because the scale of it is wrong in many ways and there was a circuit of them and there may still be. It wasn't like a, you'd come back with the same money you'd come back if you'd done Nottingham Jongler. And yet the promoters spent £10,000 on flights. If you don't get sponsored flights, it doesn't really work I presume mm. it brought you in tandem with Virgin or whatever the, uh, so it, it had to be like that otherwise it wouldn't work but the economics of it were bizarre because it was you were at a long distance way but there's still just people 200 people paying in you're going this can't be as we say wiping its own arse this <laughs> event uh, the, uh, there must be something either somebody's really making a book here or you know, it's just about struggling to survive, like whatever. The, uh, but we, you'd go over and you'd do a weekend, uh, two, I think you'd do two or three nights in Hong Kong, and then you'd do Singapore and KL occasionally was part of it, like whatever, Tokyo is part of it. Mm. And on one of these spins around those places, I've had twice it's happened. I've done Beijing, I've done Shanghai. So I've done two trips to China, both of which were for one day. <laughs> so I've entered China, done a gig and left China less than 24 hours later. And you've gone, that's... Uh, that is a waste. That's surely a waste. Oh, that's got to be a waste. Yeah. Unless, of course, it's a cover for you being a secret agent. But look, I'm just saying, I'm just saying I was in China for a day, right? That's <laughs> all the records say that there was a gig that night. And I met a cousin in Beijing because I managed flu- flukily to meet my mother and my sister who happened to be traveling to Hong Kong the same time I was <laughs> once. And we're not like a big, they were going on a ho- like a once in a lifetime holiday that just happened to coincide with me. So I got a picture of me and my mother and my sister up the peak in Hong Kong where we just happened to pass. <laughs> Extraordinary. Say, and then be in Hong Kong at the same time, and which is insane for both of us. Like we there, but then we went. To, I then went to China for one night and did a gig in uh, Beijing. So I've done Beijing and I've done Shanghai, but only for the afternoon. And it's ludicrous. <laughs> like, the wall was too far away to see. Even though you can see the wall from space, on the day we had, it was too far for us to take the trip out to see the wall. To yeah. the wall. We had a quick spin around the Forbidden City and then back in again. Yeah. But it was like there was a period of time where you do that for no money. And then the other thing which is slightly weird is recently, suddenly the travel has happened again because digital media has meant that Shows like Mock the Week, Live at the Apollo, your DVDs have all now been seen in places all over the world. Yeah. And now it's become like there's an international circuit, which is everywhere except America. 
because America is its own weird ecosystem and very little goes into America. But you can sell out. If you can sell out um, a tour here, you can probably therefore sell out Vancouver and you can sell out Auckland and Reykjavik. And there's enough. If you've been doing it a while, traditionally your stuff would be seen enough in these places. Mm-hmm. So now we tour all that. So I do it and Jimmy does it and Sarah Millican does it, like whatever. And it is proper shows and proper theatres in front of like a proper crowd like, yeah. by which I mean you can do a full a full show but in Vancouver or Auckland or in Moscow <laughs> uh, and it's been this bizarre because there was a point where I'm 50 in a couple of weeks time right the, uh, so I'm not a spring chicken uh, anymore but I'm in a show thing in which new things are still happening which is amazingly uh, look when you write a new show you go oh this is this is going to go places I've never taken a show yeah, before wonderful and it's been this tremendous burst of energy because at a point where maybe it would become a bit of a grind or it would become a bit samey to be going well here I am in Woking and Dorking and the, here I am back on this grind of, of um, it's a Tuesday night so it must be in Northampton kind of a thing mm-hmm. which you fear happening the show the, the thing is sufficiently energising as a, as a job obviously <laughs> yeah, you, know, you don't quite <laughs> but there's an element that could happen but as a reward you go but I'll also be able to get to do this, do this in Canada or whatever I'll also get to get to, to talk to somewhere completely different yeah. and do like whatever so I you know, so just for the record of that for the fact that oh my god I got to play all these places I've done the Opera House uh, you know and I've done State Theatre in Sydney and all these amazing rooms fantastic yeah and you know I was offered a buffet in Iceland which of whale blubber which I looked at and I went I know this is a tricky play in Farners. And they went, it is, it is. Four guys called Olaf went, oh, you've worked us out. Yeah, we offered all Farners the whale blubber. The, and yeah. some idiots eat it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I mean, and then there's the world of the podcast as well, of course, strangely enough. You know, so I'm hoping for that. Oh, yeah. No such thing as a fish. They played the Sydney Opera House. Absolutely. And so, they, so I mean, the podcast, look, the podcasts are, are a thing in themselves. Like, But also I found with podcasts, you can actually, during the lockdown, I put a thing out online saying, has anyone been an international podcast that I could talk to just to honestly be a kind of a pretend version of traveling again? <laughs> uh, and so I did an Icelandic, no, not no, Icelandic, Norwegian, Norwegian one based in Trondheim uh, where Rosenborg play. And we chatted for an hour about Rosenborg and Norwegian football. Uh, and I did <laughs> a couple of Australian ones and I did a uh, two American science ones. And I had a schedule made out because it was just because there's nothing else happening. <laughs> So, no. just, so it's one of the fun things you get to dip into other cultures and travel documentaries mm. were that as well I suppose the three men in the boat and all that but you get to go places with this yeah. and so yeah so as a tiny mentor of that like whatever I still have all my, my passports Fantastic we'll put them all into the time capsule that's the first thing and they will fit easily Perfectly this is the thing. You see? All the space has been taken up by other people with mountain ranges uh, and, you know, sunshine. I'm going to take everything else down from the website. I think you should. I think, we, I think, I think there's a new era. They're just not genuine, are they? No, they're not. I mean, they're not thinking about this at all. Yeah. So yeah, it has to be, it's a capsule for God. You got to bury it in the garden somewhere, and small children have to dig it up in thirty years' time and go, "Oh, great, you're an Australian one, so good for you." Or more likely, "Oh no, it's leaked." Yeah. Yes, there, that is that is the huge danger. It was vandalized midway through. So yeah, the first thing I would I would dig is all the passports in memory of an era where I was lucky to to see a lot. Uh, mm. of the planet which was uh, which is an absolute joy of a thing yeah. yeah I mean to the extent that I have I had a rant when I did the gigs in Iceland about how they were the real Vikings uh, and the others weren't the real Vikings <laughs> I played in the places like whatever and I had, I had Icelandic people going you're not Vikings you're soft Vikings go back to your cosy fjords uh, we're, we're, we're farming on a volcano here uh, and oh you're a Viking are you with your Jutland uh, not, I have to I have to build my home out of 
lava. Uh, you're not a Viking. <laughs> yeah, that is a fun place, by the way. Ed Byrne came along on that show. I think one of your previous guests came along. Yes, your best man. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he came along, but didn't come to the gig because <laughs> he'd, <already, laughs> he'd already seen the show. So we went out and then we met him afterwards and he was slightly hammered because uh, he found this bar that, that allowed him to choose the music. And so about <laughs> half 12 at night, myself and my tech, uh, who uh, we got him very well and we were quite fond of having a drink after the show. It was the night of the Super Bowl and we said, is there any? He said, yeah, there's an Amer- American bar. It'll be packed and you'll be able to get food and watch the Super Bowl. And I said, brilliant, we'll do that. That'd be lovely. I like any, any sport event yeah uh, and i said great we'll, we'll do that eddie gonna come said ed no i think i'm gonna go home and i said no okay ed bye bye and then we let ed walk home in february in iceland oh. through four foot thick drifts of so that he doesn't remember the walk we don't know how he got back but he seemed to stumble his way back to the hotel <laughs> then was woken up at, at seven in the morning to get his early he was getting an early flight i was getting a later flight he left I walked through the airport. When I got back home, I rang Ed. I said, how are you? How was your trip? He said, trip, I arrived late for the plane. I missed the plane. I was asleep across some benches, presumably when you arrived in. And I walked past Ed when he slept in Reykjavik Airport because he had to wait eight hours to get the next flight. Uh. It backfired on Ed. Totally. I love the picture of him stumbling through the streets in a flimsy jacket. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dressed for the opera. Uh, And (laughs) as he picked his way through the snow uh, back to a hotel he had seen once 12 hours ago. Yeah. So, yeah. But he made it. He's still alive today. Oh, brilliant. Okay, right. So we're going to move on to the second small and containable item that you're going to put into the time capsule. Okay, Grant. um, There is a small vial, like glass jar, and in it is an obscure looking thing, a little, a little white and grey, white and grey block, right? Which is a part of my femur. <laughs> and it's the lower part of my left femur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it popped out in a comedian's football match at the Kilkenny Catlass Festival. Um, it was always due to, there's an area of my leg which which was slightly drier than the other areas of my leg. Right. right? The uh, blood didn't get to it. The osteochondritis desiccans happens every so often. Just one of these things. It's a structural fault. The uh, Rory Bremer has it as well. Interesting. There's a piece of comedy trivia for it. Right. <laughs> and what it is, is an area of bone is dry because there isn't sufficient blood flight to it. And so it would lead to certain inflammations. And when I used to play a lot of sports as a teenager, there would be periods of six weeks or so where the leg would f- inflame and I'd have to rest and miss chunks of seasons. And it was a bit, mm. it was very frustrating. And it was always misdiagnosed until I went to a proper knee person. I'd been to various physios and stuff like that and I went to an actual knee person who in 10 seconds it was really weird it was, it was 19 and I went to this very qualified person who then chatted to me about my choices in university uh, and said oh you're studying that how interesting uh, and he said at the end of this thing he said oh I think you'll do very well you seem very self-possessed and I've <laughs> never heard the word self-possessed ever since but I was like mm, I'm very self-possessed and I took that as a tremendous comment from the <laughs> that saw you right through to PhD honestly yeah. it, was a, it was like oh well, well look at me I'm self-possessed. I have no idea to this day really what it means. But I said, oh, you're very kind. And then said, oh, by the way, my knee. He said, oh, yes, your knee. And then years of wondering what this was, this guy just lashed up one x-ray and said, you see that? Right, that thing called osteochondritis desiccans. There's no blood flow to that part of your knee. What will happen is, in about 15 years' time, that chunk will break off. Your knee will have to be opened up and it'll be taken out. Uh, Then later on, you may have to have your knee replaced. And he basically... Like, you know the thing where people go, well, I went to a fortune teller and they told me my entire life. Like, uh, he basically, everything he said was spot on. It was like, he said, yeah, this will happen and this will happen and this this will happen because that's what this does, mm. right? And you won't be able to do this, you won't be able to do that. So 
he said, look, go about your life for the next little while. That's what it is. And there's nothing you can do really do about it. Just there's no, you know, it's just that's the way you're made. There's no blood going to that part of your knee. And then we played a comedian's football match and uh, I had scored a goal and Ahmed Jalili had scored another goal. And it was all <laughs> rolling along very nicely. And I managed to dislodge this bit by in a tackle that I had with somebody from Rich Hall's backing band. Uh, <laughs> came in and attacked me hard. It's full of comedy trivia, this one. Uh, and dislodged a piece of bone. I pushed it back in again played on and then some other guy twisted his ankles but I helped carry him off and then ran back out again <laughs> yeah. uh, and then it began to swell up like whatever and I had to have the knee taken out and this bone piece of bone removed right so I have it somewhere it should be within arms each somewhere here the uh, this little thing that rattles around in a, in a, in a pot mm. that remains exactly the same it's a little piece of dried bone and so this summer for example it inflamed again really badly and I had to have a thing, an operation to realign the leg to mm-hmm. keep away from that area to stave off the fact that in about 10 years' time the whole thing will have to come out and right. I'll, I'll, get a, I'll get a titanium knee instead, which is a very common thing. Well, I would book the appointment now if I were you because... Uh... For, to get the knee replaced? Mm-hmm. Jesus, it's not that much of a... Oh, well, actually, no, that <laughs> yeah, yeah, well be. <laughs> the lead-in time is actually quite long. The, um, ah, man, I look, I, I, I had a tour coming up, I went private. Uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I had to get it done fast. The, uh, which did lead to a joke that I tell on the tour, uh, which I'm very fond of, one of my favourite jokes, and I'm now going to waste it, um, it, which is if you go private, it is exciting. When you pay somebody that amount of money just to visit them, oh, the, the, I mean, they're the same doctors who work in the NHS, but the tone is significantly <laughs> different. They, uh, they will move heaven and earth not to call you fat. And that is... <laughs> And I remember writing down, like jotting down the various euphemisms. And I have a series of them in the show. I'm not going to. I'll leave it as a teaser no, no, for the no. tour. The, uh, there was a, a series of euphemisms. Of, well, you're very, <laughs> every possible <laughs> construction to say, you I'm going to say it. You're very well built. You're a very solid man. That's uh, <laughs> the, the, the phrase. And then they're very good. So I got the piece removed like 15, 16 years ago. The leg got rebuilt, tilted, essentially. Right. Uh, and there's all titanium in it now. And then in about 10 years' time, the job happens in which they basically take it out and they replace the entire thing with a robot leg. Uh, mm. And the, the idea is to put that off as long as possible, like whatever. However, so in this thing, this bloody defining, quite war wound, but there's an element of it's always been there. And were you to ask my wife, she would go, Christ, the fucking knee I have heard endlessly <laughs> about. Like I give her, I've been giving her status updates on my knee. And the joy of having one bad knee is... You pretty much have two bad knees because the other knee has to do all the work that the other, the first yeah, knee is compensate. doing. And so endlessly, oh no, and she's going, which knee is that? No, it's a good knee. Oh, it's a good knee, darling. Oh God. <laughs> they, uh, uh, so the notion that if I stuck this in a, in a little box, right, and it was the thing that got opened up in a hundred years time and that was for it to outlive me, Mm-hmm. would be, I think, the final irony that this thing has very much done. I mean, I, I was 33 when I was told, look, you can't do any impact again on this. You have a hole in your leg now, so you can't run. So you can't do any mm-hmm. sport. You can do something in cycling, stuff, but you can't do no. things. You shouldn't be running for trains. You shouldn't be doing anything. At 33, it's like, oh, God. <gasps> the, um, and, uh, for example, I had the conversation this year where I said, look, can I ever do? And the guy said, what? No, you can't do Strictly Come Dancing. That can never happen because you can't do the impact. So, you know, no. doors are shut to me all over the place mm. uh, and I'm constantly asking you strictly come dancing I am the dream booking an older white comedian like middle age it's, like, it's, like, it's what they love right? absolutely on that show. and you're perfectly happy to go out in the first round 
I'd be delighted. Honestly, the same. You could pay the same amount. Apparently, the uh, it'd be great. <laughs> I wouldn't even change any of the tour bookings. No, I, the, actually, I'm actually quite a good dancer. But no, the, this thing has dogged me forever. But it would be a, the final irony if this thing got put into a time capsule and survived. Well, my remains were washed away in the flood, the great flood of, of 2041. Mm. Just checking that doctor didn't tell you about that, did he? No, he didn't say that. Oh, he, thank he God didn't for that. go. Well, what happened is you know your knee replaced, and then of course it's the great flood of 2041. So <laughs> right. yeah, no, he wasn't totally not. Nostradamus about the entire thing, but he did go. If you got any money, put it into Apple. I'm just saying this to you now. Like I'm just saying, I know it's in 1991. That seems like a crazy bet, but I would go big. Right, the minute you hear a guy talk about Google, put every take all the chips and push them into the plane on technology. Yeah, no, he wasn't that. He was he was within his very specific narrow specialized remit. He was excellent, but it didn't bleed off into. Oh, you will travel great distances on the sea and you will, you will find love across the water. Yeah, no, no. Well, I'm perfectly happy to put your knee in there. In fact, your DNA. Will... Oh, my God. You're absolutely... I, I never had that. Of course, people can clone me. Yes. As if <laughs> post-flood... That, that, that actually, that what we need is yeah, like someone with a sort of knowledge about science, but not, nothing too in-depth. The whole world will be populated by people with a limp. Oh, it'll be incredible. Like, but we won't need much because it's swimming, and swimming is a non-impact sport. So therefore, <laughs> the swimming is fine. Oh, and as Kurt Vonnegut said, in the water, I'm beautiful. The, um, uh, it is, yeah, I'm not. I only learned to swim very recently, actually. It was the thing I did properly. I was an awful swimmer. But I used to swim in a kind of a, the head would lunge out of the water, <gasps> grab for air, and then back down again. I had a terrible handmade stroke. <laughs> like an AI, I, I had rebuilt the front crawl from secondhand sources. And then, like, I know the arm goes over, but where is the head? The head is down, now it's up. <gasps> and like, I would, like, it was, really was a man crawling across the desert floor. And I had to have lessons in the ma- and be taught how to do it properly. Right? More of a drag than a crawl. I was clawing at the water while gasping for air. That's gone. Now, now I'm like sleek, like on mm. I just cut through the water. But uh, that's very, weird. that's like late 40s. That's another late 40s thing. So no, no, I think if you bred a super race of me post-flood, <laughs> the swimming will be fine. Yeah. It can be grand. Well, without the impact sports, it's a far less aggressive world, isn't it? Isn't it though? Isn't it Wouldn't just? it be? Yeah. Lovely, just mainly pool, darts, swimming mm. and some cycling. And, you know, I love, I, if all, everyone decides that'd be fantastic. I love a, I love a bit of Peloton action. So they, uh, I'd be in favour of that. The thing is, I absolutely adore football and hurling and all these sorts of games. So mm. I'm just saying, don't let me be Adam uh, in this situation. <laughs> or at the very least, pick a strong ease for when you're rebuilding civilization. Okay, yeah. I'm going to have to find some other people who are willing to donate parts of themselves for a time capsule. Yeah, 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 absolutely. For when the master race is bald and limping master race that we're creating. I've already spoken to Omid, but if I go back, he'd be perfectly happy to put some in there, I'm sure, because he would see that as an advantage for the new mankind. <laughs> I really don't think anyone went, you know what, Darren Ahmed, they are the basis of what we should be. They are <laughs> those two guys. And they don't go on about it. They don't, they don't put it in your face, but they're both pretty ripped. I mean, they are just, oh, they're torn. They're really, they're, you know, it's, it's incredible. That would really reset the life expectancy, I think, globally uh, from, from, from its previous unrealistic levels. I mean, it's a strain on the pension system, but it wouldn't be as much if you based on me and Ahmed. I'm taking a guess. No, quite. Right. Okay, that file. Yeah, and like honestly, I, it genuinely seems to have slipped out of view because it is always around, so that you get some sense of scale about like whatever. God, where is it? Maybe it's already in the time capsule. 
<gasps> brilliantly, brilliantly done. Thank you. You can tell it's not your first rodeo, is it? The, uh... <laughs> By the way, have you noticed that my style is essentially just to keep talking and do circular breathing? I apologise if you're hoping to catch. I'm perfectly happy and I just sit here laughing. If people are not interested, they can turn off. I don't care. Absolutely. Look, look, we're not the only podcast. Amazing, it's not the only podcast available. I'm... There are other podcast choices. <laughs> really? I've seen one or two. I must look them up. But if only there were one about Norwegian football teams. That's what I'd Oh, I, I, I Rosenborg chat, my friend. <laughs> Rosenborg, one of the finest. I recommend the May 2021 episode. <laughs> uh, it's quite good. Okay, we've got three more things to put in. Two that you love and one you want to get rid of. Okay, it's time to catch our breaths with a short ad break. But we'll be back with the amazing Dora O'Brien very soon. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back. Ready for part two? On your marks, get set. Yes, keeping with the theme of things I would flick to and, and they would trigger happy memories. Mm-hmm. The uh, There's this booklet here, right? And I'm holding up a booklet, which is going to be one of these leather-bound kind of um, everyone buys everyone these things for Christmas. I literally have a drawer filled with, with these booklets. This, like, <laughs> and with all with like different companies' names stamped onto them. And every comedy festival you play, somebody, it was, there was a brief fad for doing it. And they're all <laughs> empty. Got hundreds like, of them. Hundreds of the bloody things, right? They were all given to us, whatever, because people thought, well, this would be a lovely thing to do. We'll give them, this will be, you know, the merch that they can use, like whatever. Hundreds of them. I never found it useful at all. Right. COVID arrived in, comes slamming the door and everything. And I found myself sitting in the garden, looking, look, look, we have a garden, looking at the garden, beautiful weather of May, clear skies and all that. And the thoughts were only about a week and a half into the thing that I should probably finally walk the walk, because I've been talking about astronomy and space and all that stuff, but never properly bought a telescope. Right. I had a kind of a small one here that uh, my wife got me as a Christmas present years ago, mm. which kind of kick-started the whole thing off, really. But very small, little four-inch kind of uh, one or whatever. It was, it, it's, it's fine, but not particularly great. And it was kind of gathering dust in a cupboard somewhere. Then we went to Stargazing Live 
and we're spoilt, as in like, oh, do you like a picture of um, a Jupiter? Here's one from the probe, which is currently orbiting it. Oh, okay, Grant, I don't really need to go and look at my garden now because you're just giving me stuff from Cassini or from whatever. the. Uh, mm. But suddenly I'm in the garden I'd, and I had time to kill, right? And I thought, well, I'll buy a telescope, right? Mm. And just to get out, idly do this. And it has dropped into being a total obsession. So now I am five telescopes in, um, <laughs> three Three major scopes, two guide scopes, um, three cameras. Um, this is necessary, by the way, mm. because each of them give a different view of a different magnification. And so different targets uh, won't really appear in some, but will in others and are too big for others. And so there's, look, this is a thing that there's a lot of tubes, a lot of cables, a lot of sorting things out, a lot of boxes. There's a point about three o'clock in the morning, about six months later, where I'm looking at, I'm putting all my boxes and tubes together, having been out looking at things. And I went, oh my God, I have a hobby. <laughs> that is not a thing I have ever... I mean, I could tell you, oh, I have a hobby. I, I think I, I like going to sport or I like watching movies or whatever, right? Mm. But actual, actual hobby? Yeah. No. Buying things? Hobby? No, right? And what I'm going to put in is one of these notepads because I needed something and I picked a notepad out. Now, it's kind of good because it's a little prince one. So it's got a picture of stars and space on the outside. Yes. But in it is what is impossible presumably it looks like one of the notepads that john doe had in seven uh, <laughs> where he had hundreds of notepads with tiny handwriting scribbled with stuff and it is just me tracking my way through the numbers of exposures on the camera roll as they applied to which shot i was trying to get at that time and which calibrating shots i needed so that when i transfer them across on the computer to do the processing i have it all but it also <laughs> slowly sees me angrily go up and down the million errors you can make where I've put lines to things going, forgot to take off lens cap. Uh, <laughs> how remove vignetting. Terrible alignment repeatedly, I've written. <laughs> Jeff. Forgot to focus. Often forgot to focus. Oh. Uh, and then, yeah. And so there's a 14-step thing you've got to do. And that's even with the simple ones. And then you move on to a more difficult, like what's called a polar mount, where it twists around, kind of uh, coordinated with the sky rather than with the earth. The earth is, yeah, uh, yeah. is, is off. So that's that's computer controlled, isn't it? Yeah, well, there is. But its axis has to be aligned with the sky rather than with the earth. Wow. Right. So you have to align it with Polaris uh, or slightly off Polaris, depending on what date it is. That, that was the whole thing. And so it has to be at this angle. Mm. Otherwise, the thing drifts off and the pictures start to spin. Yes. And all this thing has become a total obsession. And so <laughs> I, this is a, this is a full notepad. I never thought any of these were used. There's a full notepad of just names of things, numbers of things, scribbles of things that no one else understands. This would be pointless <laughs> for anyone else. But speaks to a time when I just got upset. Now, there's one night, don't get me wrong, where I had forgotten, because you attach a normal camera, like a DSLR, a normal of those cameras, via a special tube that you have to send away for. And then you put onto a mode called bulb mode, which is an unle- where you can make the time of the exposure unlimited. And then you attach a thing to the top of it and you have a remote control of it. And then you press the button, you set it for whatever, 40 minutes, an hour or whatever, running at four minutes, five minutes exposures. And then after an hour or two hours of this, of capturing this target that you want to capture, you go out and you realize you hadn't fully inserted the power cable into the camera. And the two hours have been absolutely wasted. Nothing has happened. It's The camera's been dutifully tracking this thing to pinpoint accuracy. Um, but you have not made it take any photographs for two hours. And at half one in the morning, I found myself in my garden screaming... <laughs> 
fuck, fuck, <laughs> fucking thing. And all the neighbours say, what um, is gone with this guy? He's yeah. forgotten to turn the camera on again. Oh, he's done it again. He's done it again. There's like the behind curtains goes, he's done, he, he, he didn't focus. He didn't, like I saw him doing it, he didn't focus. <laughs> and I found him sending it to me going, please let me go back on stage. Please let me go back on tour and stop wasting my time with this stupid hobby. Right? Um, <laughs> Following night, back out again. Yeah. Back out again. Look, at and look, there are various reasons why this is stupid. It's cloudy ninety percent of the time here, right? I'm in London, which has a uh, there's a thing called the Bortle scale for light pollution, which goes from one to nine. London is eight, <laughs> uh, which means all you can see is the ones that appear on, on a tablecloth. That's all you can see. You know the ones like the, yeah. the constellation stars. They're the only ones bright enough to get through the murk. It's a ridiculous thing to be doing in a ridiculous place to be doing it. I mean, it's in my garden, so like there's things I can't see because they're behind people's houses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. And it's all designed to do one thing, which is to get you to finally save up and buy a shed, genuinely rent a shed in Chile or in Gran Canaria, where a local farmer, much to his own bewilderment, rents your shed. For a fortune. Yes. And then you sit at home and you press a button and somewhere on the other side of the planet, and then you go, and a roof pulls back. And the man in Chile does your hobby for you mm-hmm. and then sends you the pictures. Essentially, you go, hi, Jose, any chance you could have a look at some things tonight? And Jose goes, yeah, whatever, man. And I haven't done this yet. I don't think I'm ready to quite delegate the hobby to the nice alpaca farmer who's going, well, this is, this is an income stream we weren't expecting, uh, and have him do it where the skies are incredibly clear and it's really beautiful. But, the, mm. uh, but it is, yeah, you can, you can ship an entire rig out there and have it all temperature controlled and, and, and spinning around constantly Amazing. while you sit at home just tapping it in and, and the things get piped down to the risk. It's, it's, that's the end game yeah. of this, like whatever, that I'm resisting. It's not really it, is no. it? I mean, really, the sky is much clearer in the winter in this country. And so the idea is that you're supposed to freeze. And, and I do freeze, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is, but thank you very much. I'll bear, bear in mind your, your rule about this. But anyway, <laughs> no hobbies have really stuck with me. No kind of building things or collecting things or whatever has ever so I'm a comedian. I run off and I do shows and that's great. And I'm and I'm also I'm away a lot, so I don't get to do this. Mm. And will be away again. The minute this tour starts again, I'm, I start again in March, essentially. Yeah. I don't know how much I'll get a chance to do this again because I'll be away. And there's times I'm not away, I'm at home and I gotta not spend it out in the garden. Uh, and I actually have to see, have to see these children again. Mm. But just for a brief period. I would sooner that would be my memory of COVID than whining about homeschooling and all the hassles or whatever. My wife being a doctor is all difficult times in many, many ways. But the fact that, yeah, look, there's a couple of nice pictures I took of things that are very far away that people go, Jesus, you saw that from your garden? You're going, yeah. Yeah. And so this notepad, like in charge, all of the frustrations and all of the, oh my <laughs> God, I can't believe I did that again. That has all been wasted and for nothing. It's brilliant because you are slowly ensuring your own future in as much as the only person who will be able to interpret this book when they open the time <laughs> capsule is the person they're going to make from your DNA. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. They I will, will be bred up. They'll limp up bald and go, leads us to me. Uh, and then go to him. I think I can be of some help here. Uh, and then they'll go, oh no, God, that was a bad night. Yeah. There is nothing in here which has any huge scientific significance. It's not like I spotted anything it is. But there's just occasions little stars. You know, when I, there was a comet, there was a particularly good comet last summer. And uh, I had done just enough to find it and to photograph it. And that, it, looks, it looks great. You can see the green core of it and everything, like whatever. So you wow. do find things. And now I'm doing two hour long things and I see galaxies and, and nebulas and stuff like that, like whatever. And, and uh, drawing the information out of it all is, is in itself compelling. And it is 
also I know the point where I have walked away from being cool in any way <laughs> that I am now <laughs> tragically reaching a point of happy middle-aged dad has his hobbies point of my life and I really got to get back on the road again my neighbor I had a neighbor for many years who a German neighbor Gerhard he used to knock on my door quite often at midnight and say Mike you have to come and see this and he had the whole rig. Wow, really? It was always, you know, middle of November or something, you know. And, and yes, you'd go, yeah, yeah. really? He said, no, really, Mike, come, come. And I'd go, God, I'd wrap up and go out and you'd look, you'd go, wow. If you have, um, I, I feel as a grandparent, if I ever become one, you show them Jupiter and Saturn uh, and just a big image of the moon. Do those three things because they're recognisable yeah. and they're amazing and they're far away or whatever. Actually pointing it and it's relatively easy to find. And then you kind of yeah. get used to being, when you're out having a point, you can go, you see that? Yeah, that's, that's Jupiter. That's Saturn. Mm-hmm. That'll be Venus. That's Venus there. They're good life skills around kids, those ones. I am a grandparent. Oh, look, look. Orion is everything you need. If you can look up and go, right, well, that's a nebula. That one's going to explode. Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse or whatever, yeah. uh, up, in the, up in the, his shoulder, his, um, as we're looking at it, his left-hand shoulder, his right shoulder, mm. will supernova at some stage. That's gone. It'll, it'll be really bright in the sky for two weeks and then go. Could be tomorrow, could be in 100,000 years. Look, hold on my ass. A knee surgeon? I can't predict the future. But I've stood in the garden and looked at it yeah. and waited. You're going to waste a life doing that. Like, you waste many <laughs> yeah. generations looking for that, like, whatever. It'll be very much down the line. But it could... It's waiting to go. But like Mm. various parts of it are really interesting in their own way. And also the fact that the story of Orion is that he was killed by a scorpion as far as I know. Um, yeah. And so they, they've done it so that Orion and Scorpio are on exact opposite sides. So when Orion goes out, Orion is never in the sky at the same time as Scorpio. Ah. So he avoids the Scorpio they, uh, <laughs> as, as it tilts over. So there you go. So, yeah. How extraordinary the thing should be defined by something so old. I know, I know. Isn't it, isn't it ridiculous? The, uh, but the, it, it keeps those stories going. It's just my evidence that people, people, you know, we're not the first people to gaze and wonder at this stuff, like whatever, that people built entire mythos around this stuff, like the, and, and named yeah, the gods. Yeah and did all sorts of with them. The other one is, is quite sweet is that uh, they sent the Juno probe to Jupiter because all of the moons, um, yeah, all the Jovian moons are named after mistresses of Jupiter and Juno is his wife. So they named <laughs> the probe to Jupiter after his wife. Uh, so when they, <laughs> NASA sent it up, they go, well, now we're going to send he's circled by his mistresses for the last whatever thousands of years. So now we're sending his yeah. wife up to go, hey, what's going on here? Uh, yes. So it's like, it's, it's a classic skag. It's only, which is probably probably good the details of that wrong. But it's a classic skag. They sent his wife up to investigate. Oh, how brilliant. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. That notebook. Yes. Just that one. Just that one notebook. Honestly, it, it is stories of heartbreak. But it is a testament to the fact that we were stuck in our houses. And mm. the silent part of that is like, I picked a hobby in which I could get stuff sent to me so deliveries would arrive and that was obviously we all enjoyed most during the thing with yes. the door opening and a man going here is a thing for you here is a gift that I've made appear and you're going Thank a man you. standing five metres back five metres back there it bowing is. like and presenting the thing and I go you were very kind thank you very much let the uh, uh, that wonderful thing when it first started because we'd all been told that they had no idea how long it lasted on things that you'd go okay I'll leave that there for a couple of days until yes. I touch it yeah yeah, yeah. I, like, I mean, the idea that you have to wash your, your shopping and all that, like, the, uh, that was, yeah, obviously we didn't know. I mean, that feels like, how long does that ago feel like, whatever, that you have to leave it there and, you know, let it slowly die off, whatever. Yeah, no, I'll grab it. <laughs> I was taking the thing in, like, whatever it's got. Fine, leave it, I'll run the risk. I need, I need this tube that connects the tube to the other cable because I need to do something slightly different with what I'm doing. Yeah, so, yeah. It spoke, it spoke of a time. It spoke of a time. It certainly does. Yeah. Okay, right. 
that goes into the time capsule. Excellent. Very good. So we've got two more things. It's going to go lofty, but I've decided not to bother going lofty. For the last one is a bottle of what you call Magner's Cider and is known in Ireland as Bulmer Cider. And I explained the distinction between the two, like whatever, and has been my drink of choice for the last 30 years or so. Because I'm not a beer drinker that much because I, I find it just a bit bitter. I find, you know, you know the, uh, I am not a Guinness drinker, despite people constantly going, oh, you must love a point. No, <laughs> the, uh, it's like a big cold mug of coffee. Um, not my thing at all. Uh, and so I'm very much a sweet tooth. So cider was uh, my choice. And it wasn't that common when I was a student, for example, that we would, there were times I'd be drinking in one pub, but they wouldn't have it. And the other pub next door would have it. And I would go into the pub next door. I would buy two of them and then walk out into the other pub. And then I would bring the glasses back, buy another two an hour later, and then come back in again. And I would shuttle in the rain my drinks into the pub that my friends were all sitting in. And to this day, it just cuts through. On a very hot day, cuts through. It just, ah. Oh. There was a drink called Bulmers, B-U-L-M-E-R-S, Bulmers. Right? And Bulmers family are a family in, in Herefordshire. And there was a drink in Ireland called Magnus, the company in England bought the company in Ireland and changed the name of its drink to their family name, Bulmers, right? The Bulmers family, like, met the Bulmers family. They have stayed in the Bulmers house, right? Okay. It's not filled with candy cider. Like, sadly. Yeah, sadly. But, uh, so they're an English family, right? Magnus is the Irish family, right? And then the company, they divested themselves. They, they became independent years later. And there, so there's this, basis, there's this drink in Ireland called Bulmers, right? The, uh, and then they decided to Sell, this is a little bit of company history, which I'm very fond of. They, uh, they decided then to break into the English market. This happened about 2005. They decided we're going to take this drink, which is very popular in Ireland. And we positioned it as a kind of a cool luxury. You know, we put ice in. They were the ones who invented putting ice into a cider as a summer drink and as mm. kind of, you know, thing. So they said, we're going, to, we're going to try and break England. So they went over and they went in London and they went in Edinburgh for a particular summer. And I was living in London. I was doing Edinburgh. And I suddenly, whoa, what the hell is Bulmer's doing here? But they've called it Magners because Bulmer's still exists here, although it's quite dormant. So they had to give it the Irish name, right? So they came. That's why it's known here as Magners. So they appeared in Edinburgh and they appeared somewhere else and it went really well. People went, what the hell is this drink? This is fantastic, right? So mm-hmm. the next summer, they were going to roll out across various festivals. It bucketed rain, poured rain. They <laughs> lost a ton of money on it. They had to regroup. Meanwhile, all the other drinks manufacturers went, hello, cider's back on. And they all piled into the market. And that's why you see Stella Trois Cidre and you see all these other drinks came piling into the cider market, all these Copperbergs and everything like that, because this Irish company totally reinvigorated that drinks market in the in the UK, but got a pasting on some bad decisions and then had to come back and, it, and then come back again, right? So they didn't quite get the credit they deserved. And that's why the cider's everywhere. There's loads of ciders everywhere now, because they did that, right? But they came back in again, so it's available here. But the weird thing is, the upshot of all this is that you have a company, an Irish company, that trades in Ireland under an English name and <laughs> trades in England under an Irish name. <laughs> And if I say, if I go to Ireland and say, can I have, and by accident say, can I have a pint of Magnus, people go, oh, oh, you're talking about the English name. And then I give them that stupid, boring history where I go, no, you're calling it the English name. I'm calling it the Irish name. But yeah. So that cider anyway, for numbers, A, it's a drink I particularly enjoy, right? It's a very, very nice drink and I recommend it heartily mm. to anyone. B, when you've done all, and you've sat through all the rest of the boring stuff, when you've sat through the fragment of the knee and you've sat through the buddy, oh my God, remember when COVID and we had to sit in and we had to look at the stars or, oh, did you go on holidays, lots of places, did you travel a lot, like whatever. At the end of that afternoon, wouldn't it be nice just to have a cold drink, just to go, you know, you've opened the time capsule, yeah. pop the cap, 
Let's have a drink. That'd be, I think that'd be a very civilised thing to do. A civilised ending. Very good. Well, we're going to have to refrigerate the time capsule. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, yeah. And look, you can re-refrigerate. I mean, when it comes out, like whatever. I mean, I'm not saying you've got to keep that thing at a constant temperature for the next whatever hundred years. <laughs> okay. Leave it there and then refrigerate it. Like the, uh, But yeah, have it have a cold. Or it's bonus. Have it over ice. That's uh-huh. the thing they invented. I don't like the person drinking over ice. They, uh, it dilutes it. What am I doing? I'm an idiot. They, uh, but that's the <laughs> lifestyle choice you wanted. Let's go for that. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, you want, you want to buy into that? Go on, you have it over ice. But uh, I couldn't imagine anything fine. Nor I'd imagine my, could my genetic antecedents, uh, no, uh, decedents, uh, the, yeah. my spawn, my genetic clone <laughs> spawn. Can you imagine how mind-blowing it would be for them, you know, with their dodgy leg and the bald head mm. and their, you know, uh, and their telescope to have a pint and go, wow, that's good. Uh, do we still make this? No. Destroyed in the flood. Destroyed in the flood in 2041. <laughs> gone. Oh, God. Gone. Or washed away. So, yeah, so my, Magna Cider, or Bulmer Cider, as I, uh, I still instinctively call it, like whatever. That drink, weird looking, looks like Lucasade. It's a totally unnatural colour. It's not, like, there's nothing <laughs> to write about at all. But, uh, but that drink, yeah, would we'll, we'll cut through, you know, that uh, anything at all. And look, yes, obviously I should say I would put a bottle of the 1961 Margot in or whatever, mm. right? Yeah, it's got, but no, do you know what? Just a pint, just a nice crisp pint. Mm. That'd be lovely. That'd be very I lovely. agree with you. And also at the end of a long day digging up time capsules, <laughs> you know, I hate the old Shawshank Redemption, but a man feels more like a man when you've got a can of suds in his hand, you know, after a hot day working in the sun, yeah. digging up time capsules and mm. trying to decipher what, what fragment of knee it was. The, uh, to have, you know, people will go, that was my favourite time capsule. The one who had to dig up a mountain range. America. It was America. One America. Okay, great. That's Craig yeah, Ferguson great. put America in there. Oh, for, for Christ's sake. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you think, you think they're not going to remember that, but they'll remember the one that came with the boomer. They'll go, oh, uh, that, one had, that one had some, had some drinks in it. That was that the one was, that was so easy to dig up. Oh, it was light. And it was ca- time capsule shaped. I have no idea what the rest of the shit in there was, but. Yeah, I mean, some scribbled notepad. The clear guy's clearly a psychopath. <laughs> but we can't even trust that the fragment of bone was from his leg. You know, that's the thing. Like, whatever it could have been. It could have been clues to a murder for all we know, yes. you know. There's a series of passports. He clearly had a series of adopted identities. He had some bone fragments, bone fragments. Body parts. Yeah. And scribbled notes. And he'd visited China twice. Twice. <laughs> each time for one day. For a day. Who does that? Yeah. Let's have a drink and reflect on the various clues we have here. On this man who met his mother yeah. in Hong Kong by accident. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By accident, he says. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Dara. Look, uh, clearly, <laughs> how hilarious would it be if I actually turned out later that I'd murdered a series of people uh, and then left clues in various podcasts. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and investigate now. Hiding in plain sight the entire time. He was a genius. He was an evil genius, but a genius. Oh, yeah, but honestly, whatever. But but so charming. (laughs) Disarmingly so. The kneecap killer, they called him. Fragments of bone from all his victims. With his accomplice, Omid Jalili. Omid Jalili, who who seemed to have found a role in this this story. Hello, Omid. Exactly are you doing in this? Poor Omid. Hand me the chisel, Omid, as I try to rebuild my leg by killing people with strong legs and stealing their bones. He yeah. claimed he was looking at the stars when we know he was searching out his next victim. Uh, why was he always in the garden? <laughs> Burying things in the garden all the way through the COVID, yeah. Amazon delivery men <gasps> never seen again. <laughs> <He's got> 
There is India. Absolutely. One final. No, no, bring it in. Bring it in. I, I'm not supposed to bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in. The, uh, how amazing if that was a twist at the end. This is like, it's like a Richard, it's like a Richard Osman book. This. And then it turns out they're all murderers at the end. <laughs> well, if this is the last podcast I do, then it's been worth it. Imagine if it turns out that I'm actually in the next room and you're like, wait a minute. That's my house. <laughs> Oh, yeah. right, enough. We shall move on to the final item. Final item. Okay. It's difficult to do, by the way. Probably the one I would include is, and this is an abstract one, to be honest, okay. because there isn't a thing. Right, keep going. I mean, because I've done this before with Room 101, and I've done other things where I've, mm. you know, oh, but weirdly, in Room 101, I put Gillian McKeith in, <laughs> uh, and they made the head of Gillian McKeith, and, and I got to take it home with me, and then discovered it again we were doing a clean out and I found Gillian McKeith's head oh my god uh, and then found the head like 15 years later and then put it into a skip and took a photograph of her in a skip for the final farewell <laughs> Gillian, and her head just popping out of a queue reused and recycled in the household goods skip um, I put banter in um, which was basically banter in its old term, not the one that you now we oh young men do in sports. Oh, it's all banter. That that it's it's kind of it used to be an industry term basically for the informal chat bit mm. before you get to the business or something. The uh, uh, and bad daytime game show type banter where clearly it hasn't worked. <laughs> That's so you know where it's really awkward. Uh, and they found this fantastic clip of when it's kind of bargain hunt things yeah. and it was somebody was selling and say oh cash in the attic type thing and they said well we found these old this old tea set and we're going to sell this or we're going to get this valued or whatever and they said well where did where did it come from this old tea set <laughs> and he said uh, he said well my great aunt uh, lived in San Francisco for a while and she got it there <laughs> and that was the end of the story <laughs> and then the person went that's a tremendous story. <laughs> and they... <laughs> And that has been, within my marriage, that has been one of the, you know, the way you gather running jokes over the years, like whatever. One of our consistent ones has been, I will say something <laughs> underwhelming. And my wife will go, that is a tremendous story. <laughs> uh, and that has endured for about 18 years now. The, uh, that, that is a, that, yeah. <laughs> we both know, that, just the word that, we both go, is a tremendous story. <laughs> so various things are put in, like whatever. The, uh, and um, But there was a related one that didn't make it in, make it in and it was about comedy mm. um, and it ne- kind of never made it because it felt too in um, and too rather rather thing and I, it still remains a thing that I think I can make the case for which is what I would put into never to see again would be people who have some sort of rule for what comedy should be uh. Um, I don't mean this in terms of what it might initially sound like, whatever the, uh, oh, you should be like joking about anything. I'm an equal opportunities offender. These kind of cliches, <laughs> right? What I mean is people who go, oh, the greatest comedy is angry. No, absolutely. No, what? What are you talking about? Or, well, comedy exists to push the boundaries. Some comedy does. Yeah. Some comedy is angry. Great that you've got the Bill Hicks or whatever. You've got people being political and polemical and all that kind of stuff. That's great. Great that you've got Frankie and Jimmy being pushing the boundaries mm. and whatever. But people who, and I think there are people, a lot of people who write about comedy who don't really know or care that much about comedy uh, and don't see that very much of it, like whatever. And, you know, pitch in. But it'd be like me going, all music should be salsa music. <laughs> the, uh, that is, like, because that's the music I enjoy. And therefore, why isn't all music salsa music? Mm. The, uh, it just seems, and it's just irritating, like the, uh, because obviously, 
funny is obviously the very first thing should be the uh but there are different kinds of that like whatever but as someone who goes to edinburgh and goes sees 20 shows in four days mm. like whatever the notion that they should all be well they should all be saying things that the rest of us are afraid to say or any of these kind of rules <laughs> that people establish like angry was a thing for a long time oh the greatest comedy is very angry um and now it's like well cancel culture and all oh comedy is always is comedy supposed to be some of it does. Some of it great. Mm. But that's not necessarily like whatever. And there's no thing. In like, you know, and I find, for example, there was a kind of an easy shorthand that you would use for mental health things like schizophrenia is dual personality, which it is not. Mm. Um, you know, OCD is tidying up, which it is not. <laughs> no. There is a stupid shorthand we have for, you know, epilepsy, somebody having a fit. It's not just that. It's no. We have this popular concept that we might reduce these things down to. And sometimes as comedians, we use those. And I have done those and things and I've made a passing comment about, um, I think I did one for epilepsy or a different thing. And I've had a mother writing, oh, we really like your stuff. And then you did this thing about epilepsy. And, so, and, you know, kind of mm. disappointing because I watch it with my son who is epileptic and that's not actually what it is. Yeah. And you kind of go, yeah, do you know, I can write another joke. I, that's not in any way an imposition of my freedom of speech here I've just clearly been a bit ignorant there so yeah we're a different joke yeah. yeah and so that thing evolves all the time we get better knowing that stuff like whatever and that's, that's okay um, to do that like whatever but the one I find most irritating of all these comedy must be this comedy must be that is we must all be depressed <laughs> that I think is a genuinely phenomenally irritating cliche that people write all the time and go and you go back that up back that up with and uh, okay I'll give you Hancock I'll give you Hancock, right? Milligan, right? But who else? In an industry of hundreds of people, show me the seam of depression that runs through this industry any more than postal workers or <laughs> yeah. particularly rock stars, right? Show me this glut of suicides kind of um, people communicating any more than in any walk of life. But it is a cliche that people adore this idea of, um, oh, it comes from a very dark place. Yes. Oh, the greatest comedy comes from a dark place. Nobody ever goes, Jesus, I love your bathroom. I love what you've done with that. What, how did you get such a lovely bathroom? He said, well, we, uh, we, we got a depressed plumber because <laughs> the best plumbing comes from a very dark place. Nobody says about any other trade. It's nonsense. And of course, it completely denies the fact that all of it is an act. You're not angry every night. Oh, you've got to repeat it night after night. Night after night, I'm that angry, I'm going to die. It's an act. Of course not, absolutely. It's a way of delivering a joke. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so A, you get rid of, like, you know, I, when I go to Edinburgh, always hunt out the stuff I know I could never do, which is the kind of sketch stuff which descends into silliness, which requires an enormous amount of control. Like, this is much your um, your ballpark, the mind, like, whatever. But you go to see, for example, Mischief Theatre, the people who do the play that went wrong and yes. these kind of things. I remember seeing them in Edinburgh and laughing like a drain. Yeah. Because just that standing deadpan as a door falls over your head, like, whatever, <laughs> I can't... Do that, I don't know, that's amazing <laughs> to me, whatever. And, or building things up so that it escalates and the tension builds dramatically into silliness or whatever, noises off, whatever, that kind of stuff. That to me, things going wrong, I lap that shit up. Right? Yeah. It's got nothing to do with depression or anger or pushing boundaries. It's just <laughs> insanely funny to me. I mean, there was a play that, um, there was a, th- a theatre group called People Like Us. Um, oh God, they should be huge. They should be the biggest thing in the world. Because they did a show which was a 
a British artistic councillor, I'm very happy to bring a Russian theatre production of The Cherry Orchard. Uh, <laughs> and there's a play which says, hello, I am your gay, I am the head of the thing or whatever. I'm very, I do not speak English. Um, uh, everything has been, has been written out for me phonetically. Even this bit has been written out for me phonetically. I don't know anything I'm saying now. I could be saying it. And it just, it got increasing because there's three of them. And then, and actually for, for whatever mechanism they invented, they had to keep swapping roles. Hmm. So, you know, they come back and then someone else was, was in the wig, but had to redo. And, be, and the, everything had been established and then got more and got sillier and sillier. And then, and the whole thing just, and you're going, the control to build that and do that is just, it's beyond my ken. Just the building up of that escalating nonsense mm. is so fantastic and just so uncontrollably. Because there's things that you, sometimes the comedian go, well, that's a, f- a funny, or oh, I've written a funny joke. But actually, you're supposed to be the funny thing. Yeah. You, the joke is just a bullet in the gun, um, as it were. And you're actually the funny thing. And often the funny things you find, if, you, if you're if you making a baby laugh, like whatever you go, uh, it is, it's in the time. <laughs> and the kid laugh. Uh, and like, you go, oh, and there's just something instinctive, the rhythm of this. There's an instinctive of rhythm mm. and seeing that work properly professional in the big room and just cutting through everything yeah. into that instinctive rhythm is just oh just and I, I'm in fits for it so but the idea that the, the people have these rules for it like whatever and depression is most ridiculous because look, everyone has or knows people who have depression and they don't all work in comedy <laughs> and it isn't that neat irony the fucking great Pagliacci my whole I have a long takedown <laughs> of the great Pagliacci story in the show because I drive you up the one but I am the great Pagliacci oh really <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that because I'm only a trained psychiatrist I never thought to ask you your job <laughs> I mean, there's no, or check your name or why you're wearing those big shoes. I never thought to ask any of that as you walked into my psychiatrist's office. And even when you did say, I'm very incredibly, oh, doctor, I'm very depressed. Like your answer was to go, go see a show, mate. Go see a comedy show. Like that'll cheer you up. You're going to cheer up for Christ. Have a laugh. Have a laugh. Like whatever. Who keep telling the story like it's a thing. Like it ever happened. But I am the great Pagliacci. Oh, mind blow. Fuck off. Uh, absolute nonsense. Yeah. Absolute nonsense. It's rubbish. It's a cheap irony. It's an absolute cheap irony. That's mm. grand. We're grand. We're fine. You know, we're okay. <laughs> yes, it's a tough job sometimes. And yes, there's a bit more oh, thinking about yourself than maybe other jobs that, that might not might be healthy, like whatever. But really, mm. we're going to lecture dentists about depression. We're going to lecture, you know, <laughs> <laughs> other trades that genuinely seem to suffer quite badly. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm fairly sure that your knee expert would say, and rightly so, because everything he says is completely right, that comedy is completely different depending on who's doing it and who's saying it and who it's for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is very little that unifies it other than just, other than we're all driven to get that laugh from strangers. Mm. If you go, oh, you're coming. Oh, you're coming. You automatically, we share this ridiculous thing that we have tried to make people laugh. Mm. And that is a club and we're all in that club and there's no other rules other than that like whatever if you've walked if you've done an open spot or you or you're Billy Connolly we're all in that club yeah. we've all stepped out in this ridiculous chaotic nonsensical arrogant <laughs> pathetic <laughs> attempt to get a reaction and love from strangers and we've all tried to do it and therefore you're in it you're in the club here's yeah. your fast you're, yes. you're there so that yeah we share more than we could possibly differ on yes you've got the nerve to do it Oh, the need to do it. Oh, you need My, to do the it. The need, yes. the need to do it. It's, I do, I do. People always talk in terms of, when did you discover this gift? I didn't discover a gift. I discovered a need. And <laughs> that was what drove it. That yeah. is what made all the difference. Well, yes, I will definitely put that into the time capsule. Thank you very much. Without a doubt, if you say, well, comedy, you know, always comes in threes. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. This podcast's been fantastically funny, and there are five things in it, so that buggers that up, doesn't it? Yeah, it was a real Edinburgh show. I mean, it was great for the first three, and then, and then you've acquired bit, and then and then it picks up again. Uh, we literally took a break and had a pint, uh, and then came back in again, and came back in again for the for the last bit. We came back with two pints of Magnus. Yes, absolutely. Oh, there couldn't be a better ending to it. Dara, how lovely, how lovely to talk to you, and uh, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, a, a genuine and an absolute delight. By the way, sorry, it's very very one way. I would love to talk to you about you've done the things you've done in your life I apologise it was just like I felt this is the gig and I had to just go <laughs> to it that's like exactly that. what it is and thank you for doing it it's been a pleasure delight you have been listening to My Time Capsule with me Mike Fenton-Stevens and my brilliant guest Dara O'Brien I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, and if you haven't done already, are happy to subscribe to this podcast. I hope so. Just click on the subscribe on the podcast that you're listening to this on. And while you're there, please do rate the show, and maybe even review it. It really helps us, so thank you. You can see what we're up to by following My Time Capsule or me on social media, and if you like the sound of the theme tune, then it's available as a full track on Spotify. And past the P's music, the composer, is available for commissions. This cast-off production for Acast was produced by John Fenton-Stevens. Right, thanks again to Dara, who's already got me talking to my grandchildren about space, particularly light, the fastest thing in the known universe other than an actor getting in the queue for the catering van when lunch is called. Did you know that it takes only 1.3 seconds for light to travel from the moon to Earth? Mm. And apparently about eight and a half minutes to travel from the sun to the Earth. How long do you think it takes for light to travel from one side of the Milky Way to the other, basically across our galaxy? Ten years? A hundred years? A thousand years? The answer is 100,000 years. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel quite young. So I won't do any of those I'm-so-old jokes, you know, like I used to have plenty of get-up-and-go, but it's got up and gone, or uh, some people are pushing 70, I'm clinging on for dear life, or once you're over the hill, you just pick up speed, or these days, my back goes out more than I do. And, of course, the classic, three things go when you get old. First, your memory goes, and then... What were the other two? You see, I am forever young... Then again, it's worth repeating the brilliant Barry Cryer joke. My phone's so old, it's got an Alistair SIM card. Bloody genius. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.